1: enjoy my name is Nick Surrett and I'm Stacy Vanderhurst and we are sitting in my office at the University of Kansas in the women gender and sexuality studies department where we both teach
0: And we are here to talk about your book, Nick, uh, entitled American Child Bride, A History of Minors and Marriage in the United States. Yes. So to begin, why did you decide to write this book?
1: Well, I was always really interested in the history of marriage, and when I was writing my first book, which was my dissertation, which was about college fraternities, um, I was reading all of what everyone else was writing about the history of marriage and knew that I wanted to write about that next if I could, but obviously no one wants to reinvent the wheel. Um, So I uh, stumbled upon this little volume um, uh, in the library where I wrote most of my dissertation just called Child Marriages, and it was this book by these two social workers who I ended up writing about in the book, um, uh, Mary Ellen Richmond and Fred Hall, and they were writing in the 1920s um, about what they saw as an epidemic of child marriage in the United States. And I thought, child marriage? Uh, I had no idea that there was child marriage in the United States, so I sort of photocopied the book and shelved it away, and it ended up being I would return to it thinking about whether I could write about this topic, whether there really was such an epidemic and so forth, and it ended up being sort of like a a great way of getting into the questions about marriage that really interested me. What does marriage do? Who is marriage beneficial for? What is the purpose of the marriage contract, because there is controversy around children marrying, it gives you the ability to sort of interrogate what marriage itself is. So that's how I thought about it. I did not initially think of myself as a historian of childhood and youth, but became one via this project.
0: So what are the main arguments that you make about some of those questions about child marriage specifically, about its context in the United States?
1: Sure. So the first is that While Richmond and Hall might have been exaggerating a little bit to call child marriage an epidemic, um, it certainly has always been common in the United States, in part because childhood has, as historians of childhood know well, childhood has not always looked as it does now. It was not always a protected stage of life. And so when age was less uh, important to people's identities, People got married at younger ages. Uh, Lots of people didn't know how old they were. So the precise age of their marriage in early America or for much of the 19th century wasn't a great consideration when they thought about marriage. If young people were doing things like working, um, they were also doing things like marrying. Um, and also, and this gets at some of what I was interested in about marriage, marriage has also been seen as the solution to questions around sex. So if people have sex, uh, they are often coerced into marriage or forced to marry. Uh, if there's teenage pregnancy, marriage is seen as the answer to this. Um,
0: can you give us an example
1: of a story like that from your book? Yeah, sure. So there are tons of examples of, uh, girls basically being, having sex with older men, sometimes even just a few years older, um, and then their parents uh, force them in, to get married, sometimes with the acceptance of, uh, or the sort of legal mandate of a judge. Um, so this becomes a way around a statutory rape charge. A man who otherwise would be guilty of a crime uh, is forced into marrying a girl so as to avoid prosecution for what was generally statutory rape but sometimes was forcible rape as well and that way this is a progressive era thing Mostly um, the girl's reputation is preserved and she becomes a wife instead of a victim and the child is born legitimately So in theory of course everyone wins in this scenario Even though of course um, my voice should make it clear that I don't think everyone is winning in this scenario least of all her um, So in terms of other arguments uh, I found that our worries about child marriage that have to do with sort of danger for girls, um, pedophilia on the part of older men, are pretty recent and really don't emerge until the 1920s when psychiatry makes a bigger appearance in American culture um, and when really our notions of childhood as a protected stage of life come into play as well. So before that, the notion of a man marrying a younger girl or just a somewhat younger girl don't excite people's sort of worries in the same way that they did now. do now. Uh, I argue, I guess, probably three more things. I'll try not to dwell on each of them at too much length, but uh, despite the fact that child marriage has always been really common, Americans love to think that it's not common and that child marriage only happens generally in quote-unquote third world or developing nations where people are brown and heathen and they are the ones who sort of defy civilization by marrying early. So it's always been a way for white uh, Americans, Anglo-Americans to think of themselves as civilized as by contrast with these other nations. Um, So it gets used in these sort of colonizing imperial projects as well.
0: The title of your book was really striking for me in that reason. American Child Bride is really framing this in a different conversation than we often hear.
1: Yeah, when I would have conversations with people about it and I would say, oh, I'm w- working on the history of child marriage, if I didn't say in the United States, no one thought that I was <laughs> writing about the United States. Um, everyone assumes that this has got to be a project about somewhere in Africa, the Middle East, India, something like that. So it was important for me to put American there. One, so everyone knows what it's about, um, but also to make the um, the statement that this is something that happens in the United States as well. And I would say another that sort of ties into another argument, which is that while we see this as probably exploitative, and it absolutely could be in some ways, some children saw real advantages in marriage because marriage legally transforms them into not being children anymore. So it emancipates them from their parents if their parents are abusive. It allows them to keep their wages. They lay claim to their inheritances if they have them. Um, It also protects the sex that they themselves might want to have with an older partner. So there's lots of evidence that some kids were pretty cagey about using marriage marriage in a way that adults want, didn't want them to use marriage in order to, to protect their relationships and gain things. Um, and then finally, uh, my, I became really interested in age itself, in chronological age. And I think that feminists in the 19th century used to understand how women and girls were treated differently not just because they were gendered differently than men but that age was a a device to deny certain rights and freedoms and privileges and responsibilities to women in a way that we don't think about so much anymore so one of my arguments is that age is one of the building blocks of gender that allowing girls to get married earlier than boys which all states and colonies did for all of american history until the 1970s is also a way of keeping women and girls subjugated, of making two different classes of citizens. There are lots of states that also change the age of majority to make girls adults earlier, which you would think would get them greater privileges and occasionally did, but also sort of moved them seamlessly from dependent daughter to dependent wife between men's households. So. One of the things that I came to understand through this project was the importance of chronological age as a building block for citizenship around issues of race and gender and so forth, and uh, that to me seems like an important contribution that historians of childhood especially might want to think more about.
0: What other fields do you see these arguments fitting into?
1: Um, So I think the age thing works sort of in uh, all kinds of analyses around citizenship uh, in the United States, but also, uh, you know, transnationally as well. I'm actually, in the course of working on this book, I co-edited a volume on the history of chronological age with a colleague, Corinne Field, at the University of Virginia, and we're now putting together a broader forum on age considered transnationally with about, you know, six or seven countries represented. So I think the way that age gets implemented uh, in colonial uh, situations as well, when sometimes imperialists come in using this seemingly objective, bureaucratically transparent device, age, in order to regulate people, allows us to see sort of the workings of colonization itself, um, you know, going on on the ground.
0: How is this relevant uh, today, not just to academic conversations then, but also to broader kind of social conversations happening?
1: Yeah. So when I started working on this book, I thought of it as purely a work of history. I mean, I knew that it was still possible to get married in the United States under the age of 18. That's true as of our conversation today in every single state. Although. Now, what I discovered just as I was finishing the book is that there was a movement to raise the age of consent state by state across the United States. There are two organizations, um, Unchained at Last, which is an anti-forced marriage organization in the United States, and then the Tahiré Justice Center, which works on immigrant rights. One plank of their work is on sort of anti-forced marriage of migrants. And they're working pretty, uh, you know, assiduously to raise the age of marriage uh, across the board state by state. So I've now been working with Unchained at Last, um, who approaches this on a state by state basis. And, you know, by the time this airs, it is possible that New Jersey and Delaware will be the first states to ban marriage below the age of 18 outright. Um, They've already met with some success in Florida, Texas, Virginia, but It's not a full on below 18 ban, uh, but they've limited all many of the exceptions that are built into most state laws that allow people to get married. So in Virginia, for instance, they say in essence, no one below 17 can get married, but an already emancipated minor of the age of 17 could make the choice to get married. So it's a slim exception to what was all before that, a pretty broad loophole to the marriage laws.
0: So it sounds like there are these particular historic moments in the 20s and again now where people really pay attention to this and are galvanizing you know, policy and bigger conversations around it. Do you think there's anything in common between those historic moments?
1: That's a great question. And I it was easy for me as a historian, as someone who studies the past to look back and say, oh, this is happening at this moment because of certain things. So these other the 20s, as you mentioned, and then also in the later 19th century, and the mid 19th century, I can see why people are having these conversations about marriage and age and gender and so forth. I'm not sure about why now. Um, so I think part of it has to do with the fact of these sort of activist organizations that have really been great at mobilizing some of the discourses i've talked about that that is the the notion that like child marriage really does happen here they've been great at harnessing like people's horror about our belief that this is must be a a non-american phenomenon and they've demonstrated that of course it isn't they've got all the numbers and so forth but I almost feel like it's gonna take a historian in 25 years to look back and identify what is it about the 2000 teens um, that made this uh, you know, sort of a moment for that conversation. I don't know what the answer is right now.
0: Well, if that remains unknown, what else do you think remains unknown about the historic cases that you do write about in American
1: Child Bride? I would love to know more about what the marriages actually look like for the people who are in them. This is mostly a book about marital beginnings. That's when everyone has the argument about whether someone can or can't get married. That's what the law regulates. The law doesn't regulate whether or not you can stay married once you've been married for five years or something like that, although obviously the law regulates divorce. So most of what I found was about how people felt about getting married, but not about staying married. And so. We know that people who get married below the age of 18 are much more likely to get divorced than those who get married at older ages, in part, statistically, also, they just have more time. Um, But, you know, lots of evidence from the contemporary moment shows that women who get married below the age of 18 are more likely to be abused by their husbands are less likely to finish high school, are more likely to suffer lots of different sort of health problems. But we don't know historically what it was like to get married at 13 or 15 or 17 and how different that might have been from getting married at 25. In part, I suspect it may not have been all that different in earlier eras where we didn't think about childhood as a different stage of life but it's difficult to get at that information i found only some diaries where people talked about their experience of getting married and then staying married and it would be nice to know more about um, the situation of you know former child brides growing up to be run-of-the-mill wives who are not distinguished by getting married early but still remain married to their husbands
0: well it sounds like that will be a project for another time then, what are you doing next if this isn't the, the obvious path?
1: Yeah, not just another time, but another researcher. <laughs> I feel like I've gone down the child marriage path and I've said what I needed to say. So um, I, as I mentioned, I'm working on this forum on age as a category of analysis, and then I'm sort of working on two different projects that are, that are both related to childhood in one way or another. One is a sort of joint biography of a couple, a same-sex couple who met in the early 20th century and lived publicly for 40 some odd years together as father and son and never identified as being anything other than father and son in the public and indeed one the elder of the two adopted the younger In 1960 by the time by that point they'd been together for 38 years um, so it explores notions of of childhood but of adult childhood and looking at this relationship as a way to think about the sort of changing acceptance of same-sex sexuality and couplehood. And then I'm just beginning a project, uh, a biography, sort of life and times book on the history of Madame Restel, whose real name was Anne Lohman, um, and she was probably the most famous abortionist in 19th century America. Um, And I'm interested in particular, not just her life, but also thinking about how Americans came to understand abortion differently because they also understood childhood differently over the course of the 19th century, um, which is something that uh, historians of childhood have really helped us to think more about. But I think analyzing abortion and reactions to abortionists would be more fruitful if we could also think about how Americans came to understand childhood differently. Great. Thanks very much, Stacy. This has been a great conversation.